0: Is Confounder Acharya Srila Prabhupada Kee Jai Nantipati Bhaiswana Vinda Kee Jai Naman Chaya Srila Haridasta Kuru Kee Jai Prahyam Sikha Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhupada Kee Jai Sridharitika Dadahar Sri Vasati Gaurabhakti Vinda Kee Jai Sisi Radha Krishmiko Gopinash Sainakundi Radha Kundi Giri Gaurana Kee Jai Vrindadadama Kee Jai Vrindadama Kee Jai Navajitmayapurdaama Kee Dama Kee Jai Gadamraja Mundadeva Kee <speaking in the world> All glories to be assembled the glory is to be assembled lotus. All glories to be assembled the glory is to be assembled lotus. All glories to the assembled lotus. All glories to Sri Guru and Gurungal. All glories to Sri Parampara. May my own Vishnu, Brahma, Krishna, Vishnu, and Gurudev's shining Bhakti, <in the> Vedanta, Swami and <world> His June 11, thousand fourteen, in Zagreb, Croatia, and we reading from Shinabad, Bhagavad Gita. Chapter five Karma Yoga Action in Krishna Consciousness Text twenty four Yonata mm. oh, Sukana Yonta Sukan Tar sorry Yom mm. Tasukontaramas mm. Yonta Sukon Karamas Tatantar Yot Sayogi Brahmanirvana, Sayogi Brahmanirvana, Brahma Puto de Gachati, Santan Sukuntar Aramas, Jantar Sukuntar Aramas, Sayogi Brahmanirvana, Yovanta Sukhantara Ramas Yovanta Sukhantara Ramas Tatanta Jyoti Revayam Sayogi Dhamma Nirvanam Sayovi Dhamma Bhuto nirvana. Digatchati Dhamma Bhuto Digatchati Yovanta Sukhantara Ramas ānta jyotirevaya Sayogi ramānivānam Yaha. Yaha. One who. One sukha Happy, mm-hmm. Happy from within. Happy Anta arama. arama. Actively enjoying within. Actively enjoying within. Tata. Tata As well as Anta jyoti. Anta jyoti, Aiming within. Mm-hmm. eva, Ava. Certainly. Certainly. Yaha. Yaha. Anyone. Anyone? Saha, he, yogi. yogi, a mystic, mystic. Brahmanirvana, Brahma Nirvana. Liberation, liberation is supreme, Brahma Buddha, Brahma Buddha. being self realized, Adigachati attains. Translation and purport by Shri prabhupada One whose happiness is within, who is active and rejoices within and whose aim is inward, is actually the perfect mystic. He is liberated in the Supreme, and ultimately, he attains the Supreme. PURPORT Unless one is able to relish happiness from within, how can one retire from the external engagements meant for deriving superficial happiness? A liberated person enjoys happiness by factual experience. He can, therefore, sit silently at any place, and enjoy the activities of life from within. Such a liberated person no longer desires external material happiness. This state is called Brahmaputta, attaining which one is assured of going back to Godhead, back to home. Yom tan almas, brahmanirvanam brahma one whose happiness is within, who is active and rejoices within, and whose aim is inward, is actually the perfect mystic. He is liberated in the supreme, and ultimately he attains the supreme. How are we with translation? Is there anyone here who needs yeah, translation? She translate some words if I don't huh? know. translate to me some words if I don't know some word. Okay. But generally, you can understand? Yes. Okay. I recommend that they go a little bit back. To don't distribute. Wouldn't distribute anything. It's okay. So many times we read about what is the requirement for going back to home, back to Gaia. We have Lord Brahma who tells us that if we tolerate the reactions to our past misdeeds and offer more obeisances to the Lord within the heart when there's difficulty that we then inherit the kingdom of God. And here's another door, shall we say, to entering into the kingdom of God. Prabhupada says here, one is assured. One is assured of going back to home, back to Godhead, if one attains this state. This state is called Rama Muta, where one realizes that one is not the body, and one where one is getting one's happiness internally. A materialistic person is trying to get all of their happiness externally. They're trying to get their happiness with money, with home, with family, with career, with status in the world, with sports. Yes? Everything that's external to themselves. So, we find, of course, that that does not bring satisfying and lasting happiness. You can have a beautiful home and a lot of money and a, a nice career and a loving family and still not be always happy. Isn't that our experience? Yeah. You can have the perfect external situation and still have anxieties, and you can have a difficult external situation and still be peaceful. So everybody understands that the external situation is not really the core, the source of their happiness. Have we all experienced it? Sometimes you're in a difficult situation, but it doesn't bother you. Sometimes you're in a wonderful situation, and something else is bothering you. And even the external situations, of course, even if they could bring you happiness, they don't last. So you get the beautiful house, oh, now I have my house, now I'm happy, and then the plumbing breaks. Right? Or the door doesn't work anymore. There's a storm and a tree falls on the roof. Something happens and the house isn't perfect anymore. And then you think, well, just when I fix this, then I'll be happy. When I fix this, then I'll be happy. The situation doesn't stay. And even if it stays for a moment, it doesn't bring us the unlimited happiness that we're seeking. So these are all of the problems with external happiness. First of all, external situations do not guarantee an internal state. We can have a wonderful external situation and be in anxiety within, and we can have a difficult external situation and be happy within, on a material level. Everybody has experienced this. So there's not a direct correspondence between our external situations and how happy we are. So that's the first problem with the externals. The next problem with the externals is that it's temporary. You get in your happiness and then something happens, right? You find the perfect husband and the perfect wife and you're so happy and then you get into an argument and you're not happy. It doesn't, it doesn't last, there's breaks and then the, the third problem is that even when you're experiencing that happiness that it's not fully satisfying. You cannot say, well, I have my beautiful home and I have, you know, a hundred thousand euros in the bank and I have pizza on the table and my wife loves me, so therefore I am unlimitedly happy. Right? It's, not, it's not like that. It's its partial happiness. So therefore, Krishna has described just a little bit, previous to this verse, in text 22, he says, Yehi god, bhoga eva cha." That these, this happiness that comes from touch, sparshaja, it's born from touch, that wise persons do not delight in this, because it's the dukkha yoni. it's the source of so many miseries. Touch doesn't just mean of the skin, touch also means the eyes, ears, nose, any of our senses, light is touching the eyes, sound is touching the ears, smells are touching the nose, tastes are touching the tongue, soft things touching the in any happiness that's due to this contact of the senses with their objects. It's the source of misery. It has a beginning and an end. Why the source of misery? Because one has to work so hard to attain them, and then one is in anxiety about losing them, and they don't bring one real satisfaction. Therefore they bring simply anxiety. So what is the solution? A person may think, all right, well, I've understood that these material, external things, they're not really what I'm looking for. That's not the real solution, because everybody wants to be happy, and under my own said, all right, I'll just become detached from the material things. This is the Buddhist philosophy. Well, material desires and material happiness bring suffering, so I just won't want anything in the material world anymore, and then I'll be peaceful. That's their force. Just stop desiring. And we find that a lot of devotees in the Krishna Consciousness Movement may also think like this. Well, first I just have to become detached. They put an emphasis on detachment from external sense pleasures. But what's the problem with that? If you just say, okay, these, these things, they're they're not really going to satisfy me, they're not really the source of my satisfaction. Whatever satisfaction I do, do get from them is limited and temporary. So I just won't want them anymore. But what, what's wrong with that? Seems like a good solution. Soul seeks pleasure. The soul seeks pleasure. We're, the, missing pleasure. Hmm? we're missing pleasure. We're missing pleasure, and we don't just want pleasure, my dear friends. We want unlimited pleasure. You know, we, we're really not satisfied with just one chocolate bar you know, and, and one beautiful sunrise. and We want something that's unlimited. We want something that's deep. And if we're not satisfied with material happiness, which is very shallow and temporary, are we going to be satisfied with nothing? I don't think so. Right? If we're not satisfied with a little bit, we're not going to be satisfied with nothing. So the cure is to find the unlimited happiness. That's the cure. And when you find the unlimited happiness, then naturally you're not interested in the external happiness, which was never very satisfying to begin with. And that's the only cure. There's no other cure. You know, the materialists are trying to adjust the external situations, and then they just say, well, I guess that's as good as it gets. Right? And the impersonalists and the the voidists, they're trying to stop everything. And again, many devotees try to do that as well. Many devotees try to just kill their material desires or just stop their external sense activities. But here Krishna is talking about something very different. Anta sukha. Anta means within. Sukha means happiness. To find that happiness from within. Anta arama. Anta again within. Rama means enjoyment. So we have sukha and rama. Then anta jyoti, which Prabhupada describes here as aiming within. Jyoti, of course, means what? Literally. Shining, the light, Uh, this light. So there's a very similar uh, verse in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Of course, third and fifth chapter of both called Karma Yoga. And in the third chapter, we just talked about this verse in split the other day, in chapter 17, where Krishna says, For one who takes pleasure in the self, whose human life is self-realization, and to satisfy oneself, fully satiated, for him there is no duty. And the Sanskrit there was Atma Rati, which means love of oneself, Atma Triptas, which means getting light from oneself, and Atma which means getting satisfaction from oneself. So that's very similar to this verse, where we have this anta sukha, anta rama, and anta jyoti. So, happiness, satisfaction, and illumination from within. Well, what's within? I'm telling you it's within. Krishna's not talking about, you know, your blood and your muscles when he's talking about to go within. He's talking about what he already discussed in the third chapter. What are you going to find within? You're going to find yourself. You're going to find yourself. And that's the big secret that the unlimited happiness that we want the light, the clarity, what does it mean to find this jyoti, this clarity? Then you know what to do and what not to do. What's right, what's wrong, what's binding, what's liberating. And this is another big problem for materialistic people, is not only do they not find happiness, they don't even know what to do to find happiness. People are, are, they come to me, pretty much daily, asking me for advice in different matters. What should I do? Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? So when you're lit up from within, then you automatically know what to do. As Prabhupada says in Chapter 3, your duty becomes self-illuminated. So how interesting that everything we always wanted, we already have, is what is telling us. It's already there. It's already within. You don't need to find it externally. And in fact, as Prabhupada says here, such a liberated person no longer desires external material happiness. Why would you? You already have everything within. Of course, this was the story of the astrologer that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu tells, that the astrologer comes and says, hey, you know, your father was very rich and he left the fortune. It's buried in your yard. You just have to know where to dig. So if you found that out, if you found out, that you had some you know great 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 uncle who had you know billion euros and he didn't have any children and you're his only surviving nephew or niece, and he's giving you the whole billion euros. Would you need to work anymore? No. So if you already have everything you need, you don't need to find it outside of yourself. That's the point and within ourselves is already unlimited happiness unlimited happiness of infinite variety infinite in quantity infinite in, in quality and infinite in variety not just one kind of happiness not like the personalists think that spiritual happiness is just all you know shiny, shiny, shiny. that's also boring yes just like, I mean, even materially, there's so many different kinds of ice cream, not just vanilla. There's vanilla, there's pistachio, there's butternut, pecan. Yeah? There's so many different kinds of pizza. You can have pizza with pineapple, you can have pizza with eggplant, you can have pizza with broccoli. In the natural world, there's not just one kind of fruit. I was just saying with some devotees, they love to eat fruit every morning. That was their breakfast. So we have, you know, there's cherries, there's apples, there's oranges, there's peaches, there's plums, so many different kinds. And then there's kinds of kinds. There's kinds of peaches. There's yellow peaches, there's white peaches, there's free stone peaches and clingstone peaches, and there's you know, red delicious apples and yellow delicious apples, and so many different kinds. Do we think that in the spiritual there's only one kind? You know, if there's so many kinds of fruit and there's so many kinds of kinds of fruit, so many kinds of apples and kinds of oranges, is there only going to be one kind of spiritual happiness? There's unlimited varieties of spiritual happiness, unlimited amount of spiritual happiness, and unlimited quality of spiritual happiness. And that's all, we already have it. It's not something we have to attain. Rupa Goswami makes this very clear in Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu, it's a point that Prabhupada makes quite a lot. In fact, I was just hearing Shiva Prabhupada talk about this a few days ago. That bhakti is already within us. We already have this love of God. We already have this unlimited. In fact, we're in in one sense we're already liberated. We're not ever really conditioned in a sense. Because what does Krishna also explain? The soul isn't really doing anything in this world. The soul is just an observer. It's really, 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 really exactly like a person watching a film. So a person is watching a film, and that person is very rich. But in the film they're watching, somebody loses all their money. And the person watching the film is crying because the person in the film has lost their money. But the person watching the film already has so much money. They never lost their money. It's just imagination. So everything we're experiencing in this world is really just an illusion. It's happening, like the film is happening, but it's not happening to us. And it has nothing to do with us. And our, everything we have, our love of God, our unlimited happiness, our unlimited satisfaction, is already there. It's not something we have to achieve, it's not something we have to attain. You know, sometimes we talk about spiritual life as a journey, but it's not really a journey because it's already there. And therefore, Prabhupada said, one who's realized this can sit down silently in any place and enjoy their life internally. They can go anywhere, in any situation, hot and cold, auspicious, inauspicious, Gorkashoi Das Babaji was chanting by a, a toilet. Whether there's friends, whether there's enemies, it doesn't matter because their, their happiness is within, their life is within. The life is already there. And such a person, of course, is completely free. No one can disturb them. Again, this was also already explained in the Bhagavad Gita. They can't, they're not going to be disturbed by anyone because they have nothing to do with it. If you're in a, a shop, if you're shopping in a store, and they're selling televisions, and on the television, somebody is shooting somebody else, but you're there buying shoes, it's not disturbing you. It just has nothing to do with you. What does it matter? So when one's active on the level of the soul, then nothing in the material world externally is really very important. One is not disturbed by it. One is not dependent by it. One is then free from all situations. One is then free from all behaviors of all other persons. And in such a state, one is guaranteed to go back to home, back to Godhead. Because in such a state, in one sense, one is already back to home, back to Godhead. Because that is happening from within the heart. What, what we talk about that the soul has unlimited joy, that's because the Lord's pastimes are already there with the soul. The soul is not just some light, talking here about the light, anta-jyoti, but the soul has a form and a personality and a relationship with Krishna, and that is happening within. So the whole process of Krishna consciousness is to help us to become aware of what is already there. That's all it is. Just to have us become conscious of what we already have. Many times in in counseling people, even on the material platform, this is exactly what we do. Oh, I have this problem. And we help people to understand that they already have the knowledge and the tools and the experience to solve their own problem. So this is certainly true spiritually. We're simply trying to uncover and, and, and find what we already have. So how do we do this? One may think, well, gosh, I I can't do this until I'm pure. That first I'm going to become pure, and then I'll be able to be happy within. So first I'm going to be liberated, and then I'll be happy within. And until I'm liberated, then I'm going to still seek my happiness externally. But I'll try to relate it with Krishna. (laughs) I'll say, okay, I'll be happy if the temple president is nice to me. I'll be happy if the temple's clean. And, you know, I'll be happy if the prasadam's good. So I'll relate it to Krishna. But it will still be external. And someday I'll be liberated. And then when I'm liberated, I'll be happy with him. And until that time, I'll just kind of tolerate and struggle, etc. But that's not bhakti. Or not pure bhakti. Because if you say, first I'm going to become liberated, and then I'll concentrate within, what will your process of liberation be? In Bhakti, our process of liberation is to immediately go within. From the very beginning. This is our process, as Krishna says a little later in the sixth chapter, from wherever the mind wanders, due to its flickering and unsteady nature, one should immediately withdraw it, and fixing on the self. And in the seventh chapter, my shaktamana Navarta. Become attached to me. So we want to think of the world within with some attachment from the beginning. From day one in Bhakti Yoga. That is our process. What's in the heart? The heart is not only the self, the heart is also the super self. I was just reading today, Robert said how we try to please the body, but higher than the body is the mind, higher than the mind is the intelligence, higher than the intelligence is the soul, higher than the soul is the super soul, the super soul, higher than the super soul is Bhagavan. So when we try to please Bhagavan, everything else is automatically accomplished. So we put our attention within, on the world within, that within our heart is Krishna, they share geneticity, and if Krishna is in our heart, that must mean that Vrindavan is in our heart. And if Vrindavan is in our heart, then everyone is there Radharani and Malita Bhishaka and Pashaka and Sri and Subal and Madhu Mangal and Usoda and Rohini and Nandiraj and Raktak and Praktak and everybody, and the cows, they're all there. And we're also there. So we want to be meditating meditating on Krishna's name, Krishna's form, Krishna's qualities, and Krishna's pastimes, and finding happiness there. And finding happiness there. When I was riding here on the bus, so I was reading about the appearance of Lord Varaha in the Bhagavatam. So when I was thinking about, you know, one can just read it, just kind of read the words, okay, I've been reading it. Or one can read it in And What does that look like? What does that feel like? What was Lord Brahma feeling? You know, he said to Manu, okay, go do your duty. Manu says, what should I do? Brahma says, have children. And Manu says, well, where will I put them? The earth's fallen into the ocean. There's no place, if I have children, no place for them to live. And Brahma's like, oh yeah, this is a problem. What are we going to do? He says, I don't know what to do. I'll simply ask the Lord, and then the boar comes out of his nostrils to meditate on it. So we read these wonderful stories, and then I was reading in Chaitanya Charitamrita about cleaning the Gundicha temple and how afterwards there was this big Prasadam distribution, how all the devotees were sitting down. And Lord Chaitanya said, just give me the, the plain subjee and give the, all the other devotees all the cakes and the sweets. But you know, of course, Jagannanda gave Lord Chaitanya all the sweets anyway. And then Lord Chaitanya is looking at them on his plate and thinking, if I don't eat them, Jagannananda will fast. So I'd better eat them. And then Swarup so Damodar comes and he says, You know, you've got to taste what Lord Jagannath ate just so you can understand how nice Lord Jagannath's offerings were. So by so many tricks, they gave Lord Chaitanya all these opulent preparations. Then Lord Chaitanya knew what each devotee liked. And so he told Swarup so Damodar, Okay, that devotee really likes fast food, make sure you give that to him. Or that devotee really likes the Dumais and give that to him. And that devotee really likes the rice with the cashew nuts, you know, give that to him. And then, and Narajitanya said to Haridas, come, come, eat with us. And Haridas says, no, I'll eat later. And Chandra says, all right. So, you know, we, we, we read these and we think about them and meditate on them and try to enter into the feeling of them just like some of you may know that Krishna Kshetra has published his books, Krishna Smaranam and Ram Smaranam, now he's working on Gora Smarnam, where the devotees meditate on the feelings of the different personalities in the various lilas. So we are meant to be doing that. We are meant to be meditating on the various lilas, whether it's Raha, whether it's Mahaprabhu, whether it's Krishna in Vrindavan, whether it's Sri Prabhupada's past times with spreading the Krishna consciousness movement, and thinking about how to please them, meditating on Krishna's beautiful form or Lord Chaitanya's beautiful form. And as we turn our attention there, then we start to awaken the self. We start to uncover what's already there. And we become less and less and less affected by the externals. And then it just doesn't matter because the internal is so wonderful and so complete that we become free from dependence on the external. So this is our bhakti process. This is the essence of bhakti. To be concentrating our attention within, one whose happiness is within, who is active and rejoices within, and whose aim is inward is actually the perfect mystic. He is liberated in the supreme, and ultimately he attains the supreme. So this is a very practical liberation, This is very simple liberation, and it's very real liberation. And this is something anybody can do. You can do it if you're five years old. You can do it if you're 105 years old. You can do it if you're intelligent, and you can do it if you're foolish. Uh, You can do it and any Anybody can think of Krishna with attachment. Anybody can meditate on the Lord's form, and the Lord's activities, and the Lord's pastimes, and then discover that that world already exists within the heart. We really don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to be dependent on the temporary, limited, and always changing external situation for our happiness. So, questions, comments? Yes. Very little comment. Uh, I find that many years already I don't find so much the what is a tendency for artificial... Uh, by yeah. <laughs> So to say, maybe in the 70s and 90s, maybe after that, I don't find so much, more, more maybe opposite. Oh, that's good. That's good. But I still hear a lot of preaching like that. Oh, yeah. I definitely, I definitely still hear a lot of preaching like that and, and people thinking that that's the way. But I'm glad that that's, if, that, if it's true that that's over, that's a very good thing. Yes. I understand conceptually, I don't know if it's a proper word. Okay. Uh, but uh, can you explain uh, You explain that uh, everything is within? Yes. And actually, we as an eternal entity are already existing in Krishna's pastime? Yes. Uh, I, can, I cannot, I can understand this as a concept, but I, I that, does that mean? that uh, we just have forgetfulness of that? Yes. And we are just not aware. Right? Correct. But the process of Krishna consciousness means becoming aware. Correct. Okay. And I didn't talk about this today, but the way that one becomes aware is that one increases one's desire. I mean, what happens is, as you meditate on Krishna, you desire to, it's so, it's so nice that you want to do it more. And it's that desire that, that removes that forgetfulness. Because Krishna is responding to desire. The reason we're forgetful is we want it to be forgetful. And we become less and less forgetful as we want to be less and less forgetful. And we want to be less and less forgetful as we meditate on Krishna. As I meditate on these pastimes, you know, you think, well, that would be nice. Wouldn't that be nice to be there with Lord Chaitanya serving prasadam? Would you like to be there? <laughs> it would be nice. It would be nice. So as we just, and then we think about it, instead of just thinking about you know what I have to do today and this and that, I think about that. I was sitting with Lord Chaitanya, and he know what I like. Wow, what do I like? Lord Chaitanya is serve me what I like. I know it's Lord Nityananda and Advaita Charya, and I have an argument. You know, you start thinking, I'd like to be there. I'd like to see that. And as you think about it and you feel, and you don't just think about it intellectually, but you also think about it emotionally, maya shakta, ashakta, with detachment. Then Krishna responds He says, Oh, you want to be there? Okay. I'll remove some of your forgetfulness. And when he does that, if you say, Oh, no, 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 put it back. (laughs) Or if you say, Oh, that's very nice, then you remove some more. You know, if you read about Lord Varaha and you think, oh, I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see this gigantic boar that's as big as the sky picking up the earth with this tusk and roaring. Would you like to see that? I mean, that must be pretty amazing. So if one feels, I'd, I'd like to be there, I'd like to see that. Brahma talks about transcendental television. if you think about it with a child. Suppose a child has a toy and the child takes the toy and is throwing it. And not taking care of it. So it's the child's toy. You're not going to take away their toy. But because they're misusing it, you put it aside. So it's still their toy. They still own it. But they can't access it because they're misusing it. But it's still theirs. It hasn't gone away. And as soon as a child demonstrates that they want to play with their toy properly, you give it back to them. Maybe give it back to them for a little while and you watch how they use it. Like that. Is that clear? Yes. Yes. This one does. Is this meditation only way? Or maybe desire to serve Krishna in a particular way or something like that? Well, it's it's all connected. It's all connected. I mean, the essence of bhakti Mm yoga is always remember Krishna and never forget. Yes? Is that true? As far as I know, it's on the level of Vaidhi Bhakti. Is that on the level of Vaidhi Bhakti? No. Because if you look at chapter 12, that's where Vaidhi Bhakti begins. Vaidhi Bhakti begins with making an effort to think about Krishna. So if you look at chapter 12, text 6 to 7. So in 6 to 7, Krishna's talking about those who uh, devoted to without deviation, always meditating upon me, having fixed their minds upon me, O Sanakrita. So 6 to 7, Krishna's talking here about Baba and prema, according to the Acharya. Then in 8, Krishna says, just fix your mind upon me, the supreme personality of God, and engage all your intelligence in me. Thus you will live in me always without a doubt. That's Radya Sadhana, Again, according to Bhakti Nam Text nine, if you cannot fix your mind upon me, then follow the regular principles of Bhakti Yoga. In this way develop a desire to attain it. That's Bhai, sadhana, Bhakti. And then text ten, we have Mat uh, Karma, just work for me. So that, that's not even bhakti, that's not Bhakti yet. That's just like Sukriti. So, if you look at what is the common thread here between Vayu Sadhana, and Bhava and you find it's thinking about Krishna. So, in Bhava and Prema, you're totally you're absorbed. In Raghunibhasadhana, your process is thinking about Krishna in relationship to your rasa and in relationship to the devotee that you're following. And in Text 9, you're practicing thinking about Krishna, Abhyas Yoga. So Vaidhi sadhana starts, according to Nectar Devotion, Chapter 2, with making an effort to think about Krishna. If you're just working for Krishna without trying to think about him, then you're not in Bhakti yet. Now, if you're trying to please Krishna, which is the essence of Bhakti also, anukulina. so how can you be trying to please Krishna without thinking of him? That doesn't make sense. Those are very connected. If I'm thinking about pleasing you, then I'm thinking about pleasing you when I'm thinking You, you're part of the thinking about pleasing you. Has to be. Is that reasonable? Of course. Yeah. Like, Like, right before I came here, my granddaughter called me and she's trying to buy a ticket. So I travel a lot more than she does, so she was asking me for advice how to buy a good ticket. So I was thinking about pleasing her. But that means i was thinking about her also i couldn't be thinking about pleasing her without thinking about her it's just it's just not possible so let's take any of the processes when you're hearing about krishna if you're hearing about krishna you should automatically be thinking about krishna i gave you the example when you're reading the shastra so if you're just reading officially you know lord faraha picked up the earth on his tusk but you're not thinking about what you're reading that's not really hearing, because one should be hearing with rapt attention. That means hearing and, and meditating on what you're hearing. We had an a experience a few weeks ago in one temple, where after Mangalartik, they would read a little bit from nectar devotion. You know, one paragraph. So, the devotee read a, a paragraph, and then I was given Bhagavatam class that day. And the, the purport of that verse related to what the devotee had read in the nectar devotion. So, you know, class is 8 in the morning and they had read it at 5 in the morning. So I said, Prabhu, you read something this morning that relates to this class. Do you remember what you read? And he said, no. And I said, it was about Arista Sura. Do you remember now? He said, no. I said, it was about Subal. Do you remember now? He said, no. So, that's not hearing. Does that make sense to everybody? That's not hearing. Hearing is you think about it. It's it's not just something, like we say, going in one ear and out the other. And then chanting. When chanting, one should also be remembering. Chanting should lead immediately to remembering. Just like I told you, I was helping my granddaughter. Well, as soon as I said I was helping my granddaughter, immediately I thought of my granddaughter. It's natural. Because you have a relationship with her. Yes. But with Krishna, sometimes we don't remember relationship and then we cannot relate so easily. Well, at least at least you have, we have a relationship with Krishna as servant. At least that we can know. I mean, Raganuga's Sadhana starts when you start realizing what is your specific relationship with Krishna. You start realizing I'm Krishna's coward boy, I'm Krishna's kobe. But Vaidhi sadhana, at least you know I'm Krishna's servant. At least there's that general, I'm a servant of my guru, you can meditate like that. I mean, something, (laughs) where you're not just mindless. Like Rabbi said, if you chant mechanically just thinking about anything, he said it's useless. And then he paused and he said, or it will take a very long time. So when we're talking about Krishna, or chanting, naturally we should remember Krishna. This is natural. And remembering, of course, is remembering. And if I'm serving somebody, I should think about who I'm serving. Not just what I'm doing but I I think about, that I'm doing it for that person. I'm cleaning this room for that person. I'm cooking for that person. Again, that's very natural. Now, it may not be constant, frankly, until the stage of a shakti is not going to be constant. But one is practicing. That's why it's called a yoga. Practicing, repetition. What are you repeating? You're not just repeating some physical action, you're repeating some emotional, mental action. Does that make sense? So, yes, I may forget. In the beginning of Vaidya Sadhana Bhakti, one is going to be mostly forgetting. Like the devotee said to Prabhupada, Prabhupada, sometimes we fall into Maya. He said, No, you're always in Maya, sometimes you fall into Krishna. So, you know, in the, in the beginning of Vaidya Bhakti, one is thinking of Krishna only occasionally, generally. And then gradually you think about Krishna more and more and more. And as you think about it, but you have to make an effort. That's what a Bhyas Yoga means you. Know, And then you reach a point where you no longer have to make much of an effort, where it starts to come spontaneously. You're still doing a practice, but the practice is coming more naturally and more easily. I mean, again, this is true even with the material thing. If you're trying to learn how to play the harmonium, you know, first and and then after a while it comes more easily. Or if you learn how to dance or whatever, after a while. Just like people ask me uh, sometimes, how do I prepare a, a talk? How do I prepare a class? So when I was first learning how to, how to give public lectures when I was 14, so we, you know, we had a formula, we have a little formula, and you, you really have to think about what you're doing. All right, where's the introduction, and where's the areas, and where's the conclusion, and where's my transitions, and how do we fit together? And you didn't give such a good speech because you're thinking the whole time about the mechanics of the thing. And after a while, it becomes just pretty much automatic. You still might have to give it some attention. So, it's every everything is like that. When to speak of something that's already there, not some material skill, but something that's already a part of the soul. Does that answer your question? I mean, it was more like a comment. Actually, I, what I have in mind, it's the goal of sadhana. I mean, maybe the word widely is not maybe proper in that sense. Uh, the goal of sadhana is manmanababa. Those who are already liberated, who are, they don't need to always, they have to automatically do that. To yes, but up. how do he get to that point? And to look the process of sadhana. Yes, the process of sadhana. And the process of sadhana is making an effort to think of Krishna. That's what the process of sadhana is. And Vishnu Acharya says, until a Shakti, it still requires some, some will. So, once one comes to Nishta, that will is applied very easily. And the effect is very fast uh, until the point of Nishta. The, there's some harder endeavor, probably says it's a hard struggle with determination until nishtha, which is why one wants to come to Nishta quickly for peace. But it's there. There's some effort being made to think about Krishna. So th- my point is, you don't say, "Well, I'm just not going to think about Krishna, and someday when I become liberated, I'll automatically think about Krishna." It doesn't work like that. You become liberated by making an effort to meditate on Krishna. Is that that's what sadhana Bhakti, whether or Vivasad, I mean, that's what Sadhana Bhakti essentially is. That I'm making an effort to meditate on Krishna. I'm making an effort to become attached to Krishna. I'm putting energy into that. I mean, people in the world are putting their energy into becoming attached to so many things and thinking about so many things. People put their energy into Meditating on their sports team and becoming attached. Some people get really attached to their sports team, don't they? We've seen people watching a sports game. They're they're very emotional. Yes? They're practically jumping out of their seats, and okay. they are jumping out Sometimes they're sometimes killing each other. Sometimes they actually kill. So that's that's extreme attachment, yes? And they're cultivating it. They're intentionally cultivating that. You're not born, you know, being attached to this or that sports team. It's an intentional cultivation. People are cultivating being attached to their dog, or to their wife, or to their husband, or to their car, or to their computer, or to their job. we're, We're all doing that. It's an intentional, purposeful cultivation. So, we're saying in bhakti, okay, take that same basic process, by which you become attached to your football team, or you become attached to your computer, or you become attached to whatever, and use that same process to become attached to Krishna, Which is already there, and it's already natural to the soul. Anything else? Thank you. Shall we drop five?